Thank you for joining us today for the 16th episode of the Whitaker Report, a discussion with thought leaders about the future of economic development, site selection, and corporate real estate. My name is Dean Whitaker, President and CEO of Whitaker Associates, a data analytic company serving the needs of economic development and commercial real estate organizations. I will be your host as we endeavor to see around the corner to see what's next. Today we'll be speaking with Ed Sitter, Senior Manager of Economic Development at ComEd. Ed oversees the company's large business customers' retention and expansion strategy to grow key industries in Northern Illinois. Ed is a 28-year company veteran who has worked closely with Illinois municipalities, regional organizations, and state economic development groups. During his tenure with ComEd, Ed has shaped commercial energy efficiency policies and programs to serve the needs of ComEd's large customers. Over the past 10 years, Ed has supported development projects with commitments to create 240,000 jobs. Ed holds a bachelor's degree in urban planning and development and a bachelor of science degree in environmental design with a minor in energy and mineral resources. Both degrees are from Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. Originally from Michigan, Ed resides in Chicago with his wife and two children. Please join me as we welcome Ed Sitter to the Whitaker Report podcast. Well, thank you, Ed, for joining us today. I'm delighted to have this opportunity to have this conversation with an old friend. And so it's it's a, a, a gift of kindness to you to join us today and, and share some thoughts with us about the electric utility industry and its role in economic development. And one of the things I've wondered about, Ed, because you've been in this for a very long time, over 28 years now, um, and I, I was curious about what it, what's, common, what's ComEd's approach to expanding new businesses and growing economic development? Well, thanks, Dean, and thanks for having me on today. Uh, you know, at, at ComEd, we're really committed to providing reliable, affordable, and clean energy to our 4 million customers uh, throughout Northern Illinois. That represents about 400 municipalities, including the city of Chicago, and uh, all or a portion of about 25 counties across the northern part of the state. And that's really fundamental to you know having uh, a, a strong component of the economic development process overall. You, you've got to have a strong utility and, and strong utility partners, um, and we really view that as you know the, the foundational components to the economic development profession. Because without it, you know Illinois and our service territory would be unable to effectively compete for new investment from growing and expanding businesses. You know, our customers really do enjoy outstanding reliability performance and, and low cost of uh, utility services here. And that's an advantage that many, many people actually take for granted. But uh, we are always on the forefront of highlighting that uh, with the partners that we work with across you know, government and public private partnerships and the various regional and local entities that we support here in our region. So really our role is to help um, our clients and various companies that represent um, growing businesses understand power availability, the, the cost to serve, and then how we also will leverage some of our energy service programs that we'll talk about, I'm sure, uh, throughout this discussion today. Very interesting. What are, what are, what are ComEd's priority industries for, for recruitment of jobs at, and, and what sectors are growing in Northern Illinois and why? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, Illinois, we're really fortunate to have such a diverse economy here. It's, it's one of the most diverse economies in the country, quite honestly. There's a, a number of high growth uh, industry sectors that are prioritized by both 
our state partners and our regional partners, as well as ComEd. Some of these include manufacturing, obviously got a long history in that sector um, in this state. It's a very skilled workforce that supports that. Uh, tech and data centers is, is another growing sector uh, over the last 10, 15 years. And, and that was really originally sort of brought about because of the convergence of fiber optic networks that uh, ran along the railroads that converged here also in, in the Chicago area. We're seeing a lot of uh, indoor agriculture and other agriculture related businesses, you know, fresher foods coming from controlled environments. And then lastly, really, is just transportation, distribution, and logistics. And, and a big part of that is because of our central location and all of the uh, transportation assets that we've got here. So, you know, I think the pandemic has really exasperated that uh, with all of the e-commerce um, growth that we've seen in this area, you know, over the last two, two and a half years or so. But I think part of it, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry, Dean. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, really, though, more and more customers are, are looking to understand energy opportunities um, to, so that they can match up their own corporate sustainability goals, um, you know, with what programs we might be able to offer from both clean energy standpoint, as well as lowering their consumption through energy efficiency or offsetting usage through some solar programs. What's the ratio of uh, uh, energy? Well, what's the breakout of energy generation at Comet? What, what time you had a fairly large stake in nuclear? Is that still the case? Yes, uh, Illinois is the largest nuclear power generating state in the country. Wow. However, uh, we deregulated the industry here in the late '90s, so the, the generation component is actually no longer owned by ComEd. Mm -hmm. It's actually not even affiliated with us anymore because it used to be part of Exelon and, and that is now spin, spun off uh, as of earlier this year to its own separate company mm -hmm. called Constellation. Um, so it, it's a competitive marketplace here. Uh, we are really responsible for the transmission and distribution of that. Uh, we're part of a 13 state transmission grid that stretches basically from the Mississippi River all the way to the East Coast that allows us to import and export power much more easily uh, across those various generators. And that gets back to the reliability. Um, yes, a absolutely. I, sort of from a, a generation standpoint, reliability you know, and availability of power is critical to have that interconnectivity across states. But at, at the local level, just the investments that we've made um, that came out of our smart grid bill from about 10 years or so ago with a bunch of digital automation, um, automatic switches that we've put onto our system that have really helped us, you know, reroute power when there is an outage and sectionalize essentially the grid into where the problem really is so it doesn't impact all customers. And, and really over the last couple of years, we've seen um, about 17 million uh, avoided outages as a result of all of that equipment that we've installed. So again, improving reliability which means you know customers are not out of power for long periods of time. I was intrigued with one of the industries that you brought up, which is the indoor agriculture. That seems to be like a, a pretty hot topic for other places where I've worked. And uh, fascinating to see how we've changed the role of agriculture. The, the vertical, the farms have gone vertical <laughs> in, some, <laughs> in some cases. And you're a big yes. agricultural state to begin with, you know, it's like, Yes, you're right. I mean, Illinois does have a tremendous amount of, you know, prime agriculture land, you know, not so much, obviously, in the Chicago market, but you're in downstate and, and western Illinois, parts of our service territory certainly are very, very rural. 
Um, but the the advantage of having these indoor vertical farms well, for us, I guess it's it's they're very energy intensive. Similar mm -hmm. to a data center, they operate 24 hours a day. Lots of lighting, lots of HVAC, and you know airflow that that goes through there. But part of their presence here is is sort of twofold. One, it's a large population area, and there's a desire to have more locally sourced food uh, that's fresh. So if you can grow a tomato inside and you can ship it, you you can you can pick it in the morning and you can serve it for dinner, you know, in the same day. But mm -hmm also our you know touched on our transportation assets that we have here in the chicago area and central location it really allows those companies to distribute that very quickly throughout the midwest very interesting what type of incentives um does comed offer businesses and, and your customers what are, what what kind of incentives could you offer well yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's a, a great question we, we we get asked that a lot by uh the various companies that we work with you know, we we really try to support um, companies' sustainability goals by offering solar rebates, uh, energy assessments, and some beneficial electrification, which is certainly something new that's emerging. But you know, on the solar side, we started offering rebates um, of uh, $250 per kW for on-site on-site solar installation uh, for business customers. So, so that's a maximum incentive of about uh, $500,000. And we've got almost uh, 27,000 customers that have their own renewable generation on site, which is a, a tremendous accomplishment over the last you know, 10 or so years. Secondly, really energy efficiency programs that we have, um, those have saved combined across all sectors about five and a half billion dollars over the last 15 years or so. Um, and we, we really work closely up front to encourage customers to, especially those that are coming in new to the service territory, because they're if they're building something new that's the perfect opportunity to install the latest and greatest technology and you know reduce their consumption which obviously lowers their costs as well and for our existing customers we do uh, free energy facility assessments where we actually go out and do you know walk through uh, essentially a, a big energy audit of their facility with lighting hvac uh, motors everything else that you can think of that they have that really uses electricity and then we give them a report at the end that helps them understand payback periods and things like that. And about 40% of those customers have actually taken advantage of uh, our recommendations and, and move forward with those. And then lastly, uh, I touched briefly on uh, beneficial electrification, which really is, is fleet electrification, if you think of it that way. So it, it's not only for your employees that might be driving to your facility, but if you have delivery vans or you know shipping trucks uh, that are not going super long distances, just delivering things within the market here. It, that's something that we're seeing more and more of from large corporations that, that want to be uh, more you know, sustainable and take advantage of you know, lower nighttime rates and off-peak pricing and things like that. So are you, are you gearing up for the electrification of our transportation system? Is, is that something that's on your mind and on your, on your to-do list? Yes, absolutely. You know, a, a big part of that um, is here in Illinois, there was some landmark legislation that was passed uh, at the end of last year uh, called CJA. And that really sets us up, and CJA, I should actually define that for you. It's the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act. Um, and that's focused on doing several different things, but the, the main goal is eventually to get to 100% clean energy by 2050. So we're very focused now on implementation of the various components of that. 
and doing it in an equitable way. And you you heard me say the word equitable is actually in the you know the, the legislation law, um, but it's really designed to help all of our customers you know realize those benefits. So it's not just you know those that can maybe we'll say afford to to do that. So we're doing a lot of different things around that with in terms of implementation. A big part of that is also um, encouraging people to purchase electric vehicles, both businesses, you know, for commercial use, but also, you know, residential uh, customers like you, yourself or I that, that want to, to uh, own and drive an electric vehicle. And I think related to that um, uh, implementation, a couple of things that, that we do on my team um, is, first of all, encouraging some of our developers that are building these large warehouses to make their buildings solar ready. Um, you know, there, there's a little bit of additional steel reinforcement in the roof, so it can support that additional weight. And, and that's sometimes a challenge for a, a business to take that on because, you know, it's an added cost. And you've got a competitor that might be down the street that, that isn't doing that, and their, their building might be a little bit, you know, cheaper from a leasing standpoint. But we use the argument of if, if you have a, a large tech company um, that has a sustainability goal, and they're coming into the market and you've got two buildings that are the same and yours is solar ready and the other one is not, you are going to be in the, the, the advantage or in the lead here because you've, you've got a building that they can implement their goals a little bit much easier. And then secondly, uh, as it relates to EVs, you know, really encouraging from a new construction standpoint, customers and developers to install conduit in their parking lots so that they can quickly enable um, you know, deployment of EV charging stations should one of their tenants decide to do that. And, and I think the other piece of that really is you know, ensuring that there's space for additional transformers if they are needed on their site. Because there's sometimes we, we're an afterthought um, when it comes to how we're gonna get power into some place and they, they might not have an additional 20 by 20 space to stick another uh, pad mounted transformer there. How much, uh, uh, how much do you anticipate the impact of electric vehicle charging is going to be on, on your utility system? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I probably can't answer that very cohesively. I, I, I know that the state's goal is to have 1 million EVs on the road by 2030. So that's really an, only in you know, seven, seven and a half years. Uh, we're working closely with a lot of companies in this market um, that have large fleets and, you know, helping them understand how, how they can charge, you know, and take advantage of, again, off-peak pricing, working with the Chicago Transit Authority on, you know, electric buses. They've got a couple of ones that they're piloting. Um, and I, I think then the other piece of it that we're really excited to have here in Illinois is Lion Electric is a... Um, Canadian-based um, electric vehicle company that selected Joliet, Illinois for their first North American, well, first American rather, um, manufacturing facility. So they're making electric school buses and I believe also electric garbage trucks there that are being you know, purchased by municipalities around the country, but some of them being used right here in, in Illinois. So there's some unique opportunities there with the smart grid I talked about earlier with doing things like vehicle to grid charging. Uh, you know, school buses, a good example, on a hot July day, they're not really being used uh, mm -hmm. because you know, school's not in session. So you can use those batteries of those vehicles as a source for additional power capacity. 
How does that work then? Does that that entity uh, spin the meter backwards? Is that, is that what's happening? <laughs> no, we don't spin meters at the moment. Yeah, it, it, in a way, that's the easiest way to think of it. Yes. So the, the smart meters that we installed uh, over the last ten years or so have two channels, essentially an in inward flow and an outward flow. So we would be able to, and, and that was designed probably less for the EVs and, and more for on-site, you know, electric generation, you know, solar or wind or things like that. But yeah, it, it allows for net metering essentially. That's fascinating. I, I just moved into a condo building, which was really a, a, a redo or renovation of an old school building. And it's, it's a two-story grade school building with 16 condos in it. So I'm, I'm trying to talk our neighbors into putting solar on the roof. I haven't succeeded yet. And then also installing uh, charging stations in our garages. And so that's no. kind of our Yeah, that, our that is great. It, and then, you know, I, I touched on the equitable uh, piece of, you know, the, this new clean energy law. There was actually, there was a, some earlier legislation from a couple of years ago called FIJA, the Future Energy Jobs Act, that, that we're also focused on implementing. But part of that uh, allowed for easier use of community solar. So essentially, if a, a community or a solar developer wants to build a solar farm, you know, 20 miles outside of Chicago, for example, um, you're able to sign up for, you know, say 2% of that output if you live in a high rise along, you know, lakefront of Michigan, Lake Michigan, where you don't own your roof. You know, so not everybody necessarily can either A, afford to put solar at their uh, place of residence, or can they even actually install it because they don't own the roof. So it's 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 a really unique type of program, and we've we've seen a lot of growth of that as well. Let me understand. So they don't they actually don't have space to do it. So they actually contract out to have that space somewhere else. Correct. Hmm. It, it's a it's again it's called community solar. Um, I believe the rules are if you're the developer, you can only sell to no, no no one subscriber can take more than like 20 percent of your output mm. so you you couldn't actually you know 100 offset your usage if you were a large large business obviously but for a, a you know a residential customer like myself if i if i needed whatever three kilowatts of, of power from some solar farm i could actually sign up and do that and then the smart meters that we have really is what enables all of that to happen because they they can match up the output of that solar farm, even though it's miles away, with my actual consumption at my house, based you know uh, on incredible. the hourly. What fascinating! Yes, how cool is not that? Not something that could have been not something that could have been done you know 20, 30 years ago uh, when we had not smart meters, right? Just the analog <laughs> spin, so the spinning discs. So they did not yeah. enable things like that. I wonder what happened to all those. They must be somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, that is a great question. Um, you know, we we took out all of ours, and I, I got to think some were refurbished and maybe take sent to uh, the secondary market uh, outside the United States, perhaps. I mean, a, a lot of utilities are moving more towards digital platforms, like what we did. You've you've touched on this other question I was thinking about a little already, but how is ComEd preparing for this electrification and the implementation of this new clean energy law and policy? What are some of the things? Comments doing well uh, again I, I think part of it is focusing on the, the equitable piece of it um, working with our customers you know uh, around um, 
their strategies, understanding what their needs are and, and how they can benefit from what comes out of these programs. And, and you know, the, again, the big parts of it are gonna be the beneficial electrification and then what are the clean energy solutions that, that we can put forward, whether that's solar at their facility or home or signing up for community solar or, or other clean energy technologies. The other part of it at, at a generation standpoint um, you know, it, it's winding down some of the coal generation facilities that are out there mm -hmm. and then pre preserving some of the nuclear energy that we already had in place here and then in encouraging additional you know, wind and solar to um, be built here. And, and that, that really creates another economic development opportunity as you need, you know, the supply chain for wind and solar companies or even the EV market uh, to, to come into here because they want to build it closer to where it's being used. We actually have a, you know, in addition to that Lion Electric project I mentioned, there's a company in the northern suburbs uh, that actually makes the um, charging infrastructure, like the, the pedestals. For the solar or for? No, no, the, the pedestals the for uh, for the, the charging, like the, the okay. like what you would plug into your car. Yeah. Oh, I see. Those, so those are the things you see along the curb when you when you pull in and they say you can't park there unless you're electric vehicle. <laughs> and so yes, correct. Problems. Things like that. Exactly. I got it. That's funny. My brother has a salvage yard in Illinois, as you may or may not know, about 75 miles west of Chicago. And recently, one of his assignments was to go in and pick up the scrap from the windmills that were being dismantled in order to put up bigger ones. And so there was a oh. rebuild going on. This is about 75 miles out Ogden Avenue, a town called Earlville. There's a ridge line out in that neck of the woods, uh, which is which has these windmills on it. And uh, I, he ended up with a lot of scrap, mostly the bolts that hold the blades onto the windmill, which was uh, an enormous amount of scrap that he was able to recycle. So I, I call him a recycler, not a scrap dealer. I'm sure he appreciates that. It sounds much more positive for sure. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I, I, I thought of uh, as it relates to the implementation of this new energy law is, is really the workforce development components of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so my department, the, the name of the, the department was actually expanded about two and a half years ago to economic and workforce development. We had already had a few programs within ComEd that we were running. And then we'll sort of consolidate it into our broader department. But, you know, as part of this new clean energy law, it, it's going to create a lot of new energy jobs for um, people that live here in the state. And so we're really jumping into that, you know, with, with both feet and, and creating programs. Uh, we actually had a program called Construct. Um, we just had the graduation um, last week uh, of the, the 10th year of that. And we, we run call it 50 to 80 people a year through that. It's a 10 week um, construction trades training program that then when the graduates come out of that, they get hired into either ComEd or some of our contractors or other construction trades um, you know, sectors throughout the Chicago market. So it, it's really been a, a great program for us and has put us in the, you know, the limelight of that. And so now we're really focusing on how, how do we expand either that or other programs to address the needed talent that, that we have to have here as we transition to a, you know, a clean energy environment. Now that's very interesting. We're kind of wondering what we're gonna do with all these automobile parts manufacturers here in Michigan to try to figure out 
how do we convert those over to some form of electric vehicle production? And so it's uh, an interesting change that's occurring throughout uh, the whole transportation industry. Yeah, yeah, Michigan has got that historic, uh, you know, vehicle pr production, you know, and, and, and really throughout the Midwest, you see that, but there are a lot of changes coming when you move to EVs uh, because yeah. it's, it's a, a totally different supply chain. I don't know if you've seen it recently yet, but we have two lithium ion battery plants here in Holland, Michigan, one of which was LG Chem, which is now LG Energy. And they just announced a $1.8 billion expansion and hiring 1,200 more people. I, I got to remember, we're a town of 30,000 people. <laughs> Coming up with 1,200 more employees is, is a stretch for us, but we'll, we'll get there. Yes. And, most, and most of that revolves around housing and being able to, uh, you know, so the whole thing is interconnected to affordable housing too. So I'm sure you've encountered that in some of your work. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the other piece of it, you know, as it relates to EVs, um, we have a project here that you may have heard of in Illinois called Rivian, uh, which is downstate Illinois. They actually purchased a, um, a Mitsubishi auto assembly plant that had gone out, I wouldn't say gone out of business. They Mitsubishi just downsized their operations in the U.S. And so they closed the facility. It was sitting vacant. It's outside of combat service territory, but they've taken that over. And they're starting up production, you know, this year uh, with their new you know, electric pickups, which is a great story for Illinois. Mm -hmm. The related piece of that is last year, uh, the governor passed uh, new le legislation to incentivize additional EV companies to come here as well as their supply chain. So we're, we're partnering up with our state partners uh, really to, to focus on attracting that type of industry because we know it's certainly a growing one on a national level. I know Rivian, I just read an article, they currently have 5,300 employees now. So can you imagine, and it was, it was a cool story because it, it was people that had worked at, at uh, Mitsubishi previously. Um, they were like in their 50s, came back, uh, started back up at the same job they had before, which I thought was yeah. pretty interesting. It, 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 it is a, a great transformative story um, for Bloomington Normal in, in central Illinois. Uh, and, and I think um, the other one there was the number of vehicles orders that they have orders for 83,000 trucks now. And they also have orders for several delivery vehicles. So it, it's going to be quite an interesting time that we're changing how we move things around and how we move ourselves around. Um, jumping back to a, kind of a broader view, Ed, and, and kind of what changes do you see in economic development over say coming up over the um, last 20 years and what do you see going into the future? Well, that, that's a great question as well. Um, you know, so I think what we're seeing is really this, this push for electrification and the integration of renewable energy uh, and, and it really puts utilities at the center of the planning and development for that. Um, but, but what I, I think I also am seeing over the last, you know, five or so years is just the speed to market has become more and more crucial for every project that we work on. Um, you know, I think everybody right now currently is sort of challenged with uh, supply chain issues, but I think before that became an issue over the last 12 months, the, that speed to market and, and finding the right location for their next expansion um, has become you know, more and more prevalent. Uh, just the, the timelines for the various projects that come across our desks 
of looking for shorter. places. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, the, the, the turnaround time has gotten shorter, but once you're selected, um, you know, to, to move forward for a project, their construction timelines are fast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I, I would touch on a, a project that we had, you know, not in the EV space, but for a, a large data center company that really challenged us to meet their timelines and, and we beat it by three months. Uh, which is a great story for us. And, you know, from start to finish, it was 23 months to build engineer and build an eight acre substation to serve their needs as well as some, you know, surrounding areas. Uh, It's an incredible story for us, but you you can't do that really without having, you know, tight alignment uh, with your various development partners, you know, throughout the process. Mm. I I think the related piece of that too, is that we have, proactively identified about 20 or so sites throughout our service territory, which are you know, ideal for larger power users. So kind of back to that EV story, um, you know, most of these auto assembly facilities need thousands of acres to build a facility. And, and that's not easy to find in the Chicago market, obviously, but our, you know, we're blessed to have a service territory that's got a lot of rural area where we have you know, expansion opportunities. And, and we've done that. Um, collectively internally to really identify how we would serve you know, large uh, power users in, in some of those locations. And I, you know, I, I, I think sort of lastly there is just understanding you know, how the grid is being used. And this is less about my department and more about ComEd overall. You know, the power grid is being used differently than it was designed to, to be used originally. You know, it was historically you have a central plant and you generate power there and you push that out, you know, to users. Now you've got two-way power flow, and that's growing more and more as more companies and more residents install solar and generation at their own you know, location. So they're they're putting power back on the grid in places where it was never expected to to, to flow that direction. Mm-hmm. Is that there's been an issue um, in terms of charging? for that flow and uh, that return flow. Has that been resolved in terms of, um, so that there is a charge for uh, putting my solar panel on the grid? Well, for us, we have a program called net metering. Essentially, it's again, that that sort of two-way power flow. So there are, I'm not an expert on how those charges work, but we do have a rate for that, we'll say, where you're, you're going to get you know, credits for what you're generating, and then you get charges, obviously, for what you use. I, I know that in, in, in we're different, remember, because we, we don't own generation here in Illinois. Right. And I think you, you may see in the media stories about you know, utilities kind of in, in the negative limelight because they're maybe being viewed as fighting uh, on-site generation because they're losing generation. And again, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter as much to us. So we have always taken the stance that we are want to be at the forefront and enable that, which is one of the reasons why we offer these incentives uh, to install solar. I understand. Makes sense. Thank you for that. Well, Ed, this has been a delight um, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, talking with an old friend, uh, but also the insight that you've been able to share about what's happening with the electric utilities and how our conversion to electric vehicles will impact um, the utility industry and also uh, some of the things that Comet is doing to prepare for that. So thank you very much for your uh, insightful um, view of, of what you've shared with us. We appreciate it. 
Well, thanks a lot, Dean. And I, I appreciate you reaching out and thinking of us to uh, participate in this. And I hope to see you at some point this summer uh, at one of our various conferences. Thanks, Ed. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Whitaker Report, Seeing Around Corners. And a special thanks to Ed Sitter for helping us better understand the changes taking place in the electric utility industry. Again, I'm Dean Whitaker, your host. Thank you for listening.